everyone listening. I'm Robert Gowan, and you're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast. Today's uh, podcast, I'm joined by Rudy, uh, who's separated from the Army, and I thought it might be good to bring him in, let him tell us a little bit about himself uh, and what he's been doing since he separated. So uh, welcome to the show, Rudy. Hey, Robert. How are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, Rudy, I thought it might be good for you to share a little bit about your uh, military background and uh, some of the things that you may have done while you uh, served in the Army. Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, I came in uh, to kick it off. I came in, uh, joined the military when I was 17, uh, right out of high school. Um, came into the uh, Army uh, Rangers, uh, went through uh, infantry basic training and AIT, right into Airborne School, uh, and right into RIP, which is the uh, uh, Ranger Indoctrination Program at the time. I think it's called RAFT now. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, went right into uh, 3rd Ranger Battalion, uh, uh, did some time uh, as a young private there. Uh, getting my head on straight, um, did a quick uh, little tour up at 10th Mountain Division for about a year and a half, uh, and then went right back to the Rangers, and uh, for the next uh, 25 and a half years, uh, was in Special Ops uh, my entire career. Um, from the Rangers, I transitioned into Special Forces, the Green Berets, uh, did time up in uh, First Special Forces Group up in Washington State, and Third Special Forces Group down in uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Um, worked with uh, a lot of different uh, interagency uh, outfits uh, as well as uh, the tier units. Cool. So um, that was the time frame where it was the kind of the BRUKMB Army. And uh, as I understand it, I think you had a, a, a Army guy there as well as uh, another recruiter that you were talking to at the time. Yeah, yeah. So when I first came in, uh, I was trying to figure out, you know, the direction I wanted to go in the military. And, uh, at the time, I was all I was gung ho. Uh, I was I was wrapped up, and I knew I wanted to I knew I wanted to be uh, special operations. Uh, and I actually had the Army recruiter as well as the Navy recruiter uh, sitting down at my at my kitchen table at the same time. Uh, and, and as it is today, anybody that's in the military knows uh, recruiters are, are trying to get their numbers up, get their recruitments in. Uh, so they were both jockeying to to get my. Uh, to get um, me joining their outfit. Uh, ended up choosing the Rangers uh, over the Navy because at the time I could go directly into the Rangers uh, at a basic training, and uh, I could not go right into to the SEALs through BUDS. I had to serve, uh, I believe it was two years, uh, as, a, as a shipmate or a ship hand or, or whatever it was. Uh, right. And that just didn't, that didn't interest me at the time. So Army, Army Rangers it was. Yeah, and and now I think you can go directly into uh, special forces, right? Straight out of high school, or yeah, yeah, I think you can. There's a program, and they and they, uh, and they, I actually, I actually believe in it. I think it's an awesome program that they're doing. Uh, and they'll take they'll take guys right into special forces. But the the initial screening and preparation and uh, and selection is a little bit more uh, in depth and, and difficult than it is for. You know, let's say a, a, a young a young trooper uh, who's got five years already uh, in the army. Yeah, because when we came in, it was uh, we were talking about this offline where you had to be uh, E four two years in. So um, it is kind of interesting to hear now that if you go on a different track and you come straight out of high school or something, that it's a little bit more intense. So they're still really trying to get you mentally and physically prepared. And there's a lot of mental aspect to this, of course. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, so where you came in, uh, you're originally from Florida. I am, I am. I grew up in uh, South Central Florida, uh, and I lived both uh, in Arcadia and uh, Port Charlotte area, which is uh, just south of Tampa on the uh, West Coast. Yeah, I'm originally from the uh, Panhandle, and so, okay. you know, for me, um, 
you know, my story for why I went to the army was that I wanted to get out of that area. It was kind of at that yeah. time frame really depressed. Uh, there's uh, most of the jobs related to the military installations that are there, whether it's uh, Whiting Field, Pensacola NAS, uh, Herbert Field, you know, any of yeah. Eglin. Um, and, and for me, it was uh, I, I wanted to get away. Uh, for you, what was kind of your story as to why you came in? Well, I knew, uh, like I said, I knew grew, I grew up in the GI Joe area, just uh, just as yourself, and uh, I was ate up with it. Uh, I knew that uh, I wanted to grow up be a, a bulletproof, barrel-chested freedom fighter, you know. And uh, that's kind of <laughs> I, I'd known that at an extremely young age, uh, and then and then all throughout middle school and high school, that's that's what I was geared towards, and I knew that's what I'd be doing. So did you come in, you came in straight out of high school. So because of that, you didn't really um, come in with any college, but did you take advantage of like tuition assistance or GI bill afterwards? I didn't. Uh, I, well, I did take advantage of it. I had the, uh, I had the GI bill. Uh, and, and I think our, our time frame was, it was pretty significant. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the exact amount, but I think it was 30, uh, 20 or 30,000. on. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 to be honest with you, I think mine might've been a little bit more, but oh, okay. uh, uh, I didn't use it for myself. Uh, I've got four boys, and uh, for for three of them, I've got that uh, tuition assistance uh, set aside. Uh, one of which, uh, my 21 year old, uh, he's actively using it right now to finish up his uh, computer science degree. Yep, very cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was one of those things that I I definitely try to take advantage of when I saw free money laying on the table. Um, but oh. I also had the opportunity where I had the time to do it. Uh, not everybody yeah. has that, that capability yeah. to depend upon. Well, that was my original, that was my original plan coming in with yeah. take advantage of that program and, to, and, and it'd go the, the pretty, the pretty typical route, which is, you know, get a college degree, go out and find a, a job after you, after you're done with the military. Right. Um, it, it just didn't work out that way. in, in during my time in, it was, uh, and especially once uh, 9-11 kicked off, I was, uh, I don't want to say, uh, I don't want to make an excuse because that's all it would be. Uh, and I don't want to say that uh, I didn't have time to do it because the, the the military today affords you, you know, time to accomplish things. It's just that my mission focus and my priorities were different at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I chose to, to, to stay mission focused. And I was constantly, uh, like I said, especially after 9-11, it was constantly go, go, go. Uh, our up tempo was pretty high. Oh, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, most of us, uh, I think everybody even today goes through a transition assistance program. And for the Army, it's yeah. called the uh, ACAP, Army Career Alumni yes. Program. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts of that uh, when you went through that. And um, did you find that helpful or was it something else that really kind of helped you with that transition? Because it's always tough getting, you know. Yeah, it, it is. And and, uh, and I'm a pretty I'm a pretty strong willed, uh, confident, confident guy. Um, you you kind of had to be uh, in our outfit. But uh, that's a big step, you know. And 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 for all the the listeners that uh, that can relate to this, that are that are actively uh, trying to make that determination or that that life decision uh, on a transition out of the military, um, if you haven't experienced it already, you're you're guaranteed to. Um, it's a big deal, um, and it can be quite intimidating. And and for me, uh, you know. Utilizing the the ACAP and, and for us it's a it's a week long program and it's it's mandatory um, uh, for part of your transition, especially for retirees and whatnot. Uh, but they offer a lot of services and information on subjects that you, you might not have come across, especially being young in the military. Right. Um, you know things like how to how to properly and effectively build a resume, how to market yourself. Um, 
financial, uh, not only financial aid programs, but, but, you know, teaching, teaching, especially a young soldier, uh, how to, how to effectively set up a, a budget for the transition right. because your military paycheck's not coming in anymore every month. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's quite helpful a lot of different ways. Um, got to speak with a lot of, uh, business professionals, um, not necessarily in the, in the career field that I was, I was wanting to pursue, but regardless, they were, they were experienced people that have been there and done it, um, ahead of me. And, you know, I'd have been a fool not to listen to what they had to say. You know, I think one of the biggest um, challenges that I see with most that are coming off active duty, and I even found it for myself, um, I would use a lot of the acronyms in the workplace, and they'd look at me with that kind of weird sure. look, but communication barrier is a, is a big piece. It is. It is. Um, and, and, you know, uh, anyway, even one like ourselves that did a career in the military, you, you, your personality is different. It's quite different than, uh, than what I've experienced, even in my short time in the civilian world. Right. Uh you know, just over a year now, um, I'm a very direct person, as is most, as are most military um, military folks, and and you have to realize that, that that a lot of the acronym usage, you know, who was a big one, and right, Roger right. Pat, I use that a lot like when that. I got out. That was just uh, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't relate very well, and it no. doesn't uh, doesn't communicate effectively with uh, the civilian marketplace and. Uh, yeah, you guys got to be aware of that when they're when they're transitioning. So, what were some of the challenges that you like personally faced, uh, kind of making your own transition out? I mean, was it beyond the resume, beyond the communication barriers? What were some of the other things that you found that were kind of barriers? I think it's the the largest barrier, the toughest barrier to get through, was the the mental aspect of that decision that I made. Uh, number one, it's a permanent decision. Uh, it's a life altering decision, and it's going to change your life forever. Uh, and it's something that, at least for for myself and my family, it was a no fail option for me. Sure. Um, I did not want to transition into something that uh, was not a sure thing for me, especially with regards to to an income. Um, and for for myself, for my barrier, my, that mental barrier that I had to get through, uh, I I feel I made that that, that successful. Uh, decision or the transition because I had multiple safety nets set up and I had uh, I had a couple of different companies uh, that I was on the hook for uh, for employment um, just as a backup you know in case right. in case one didn't work out the way I wanted it to um, I, I, I was guaranteed to have something that I could fall in on and it was, and it was a smooth short transition at least as far as income goes would you have done anything differently looking back on it no no, I think I, I think I, I think I did everything the the right way. Maybe not the best way, but it, it was definitely the right way uh, because uh, I'm a success story, and um, you know I, I was fortunate enough. Uh, I did my I did my homework uh, about a year out um, from from the retirement, and mm-hmm. uh, you know um, another another talking point that, that we can hit uh, even now or, or later on in the, in the podcast something that's extremely important uh to this entire transition that's your networking yeah um i think you had networking early on in my career but but more importantly i really pushed the gas uh for the last year that i was in um and you can't uh you can't beat uh good networking um i think that's one of the the most important aspects of your transition um along with the uh communication, learn how to communicate effectively. You know, it's a uh, good I think point. Those two, 
Yeah, I think those two points uh, are probably the most important on my list anyways. You know, a, lot, a lot of people set up the LinkedIn profile, but they, they don't really do yeah. much beyond that. I mean, so it, it's exactly, really yeah. important to cultivate that network. Sure. Um, yeah, you've got to market yourself and you've got to, to build that network base. Yep. So now, you know, you've been kind of, uh, uh, you know, fortunate in looking at things and finding your way as far as what you're passionate about. Um, and I think yeah. passion is uh, trying to find your passion. I know that, there's been multiple articles both ways of, uh, of how people view that. But for me, it's it's really about finding something that you enjoy doing, whether you apply that to your job, you create a job yep. out of it or whatever. So, you know, how did you uh, go about finding your passion and how have you been able to kind of put that into your work? Well, uh, I, I think it starts with the, I think it starts with an individual's um, confidence level and self-confidence his uh, self-worth, his esteem. Uh, I think I think you have to before well before you, you decide to transition, I think you you should have that figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for me, uh, my passion is fishing, and um, I knew that that after twenty five and a half years of of government service, that it was time for me to do something that I was extremely passionate about, not something that. You know, uh, I'm not looking to get wealthy by any means, but uh, uh, and I'm not looking negatively on my 25 and a half years of, of military service. But I want to do something for me, right. you know, um, something that I felt strongly about and something that I truly enjoyed. And then, oh, by the way, wouldn't it be nice to to figure out how to make an income at it and, and support my family? Um, and I used a lot of the uh, the personality traits and the characteristics that made me successful. Uh, in my special operations career, uh, and I applied uh, a lot of the same principles to my new outlook, and thus far, uh, almost a year and a half now that I've been out. You know, I think you you touched on something I think that's really critical there, and that's really finding out who you are and what you bring to the table, and and that's what you're talking about, is you were able to, to, to kind of uncover you know, introspectively who you are, uh, what it is that you enjoy doing and how then can I take that and apply that to the workplace? Sure. Sure. You know, for example, uh, uh, on, uh, you know, a simple resume building, uh, within the fishing industry, I'm trying to, I'm trying to break into the, into the, into the pro circuit. Um, and it's really what I learned was it's got, it's got more to do with marketing, uh, yourself and, and those who you're, you're working for, uh, namely sponsors, but, I had to figure out a way, an effective way to represent myself and market myself without coming across as uh, too, uh, too uh, what's the word for it, A-type or, or too direct. Uh, again, that, that works very well within the military, but not so well on the civilian side. And you need to, to, to understand how to, how and when to tone those things back appropriately. You know, for example... Uh, you know the, the strengths and expertise uh, portion of my resume. Uh, how do how do I attribute my military experiences to the fishing industry? You know things like integrity, uh, work ethic, uh, having a can and will do attitude, my social media presence and management, uh, public speaking ability, my loyalty, uh, my commitment towards uh, either you know during the military it was my commitment toward the mission and the, and the leadership. Mm-hmm. the chain of command, 
but as it applies to within the fishing industry, my commitment towards my sponsor goals. You know, all of these things interrelate, and you just have to be able to, to articulate and, and market yourself in a way that uh, these companies are going to find not only profitable for them, but but able to function, you know, with, with uh, within that type of environment. So, you know, for me, things like things like that were very important. Um, and getting back to the ACAP uh, uh, part of that process, they they actually teach you how to uh, effectively communicate and market yourself through a resume. You know, it's it's really about what value are you going to provide them. I mean, it's probably the same yeah. in, within your industry. It's like, okay, what you know, what is Rudy going to bring to the table that's really going sure. to um, help us be successful? And, and that's the same exactly. way even in the private enterprise out there. Yeah, yeah, and they don't want to. They don't want to know that that you know I, I, I've been a I've been a, a SODIC uh, qualified uh, sniper, which is the level one. You know, arguably the the, the number one rated sniper uh, capability in the world. Uh, how do I relate that to a a, a civilian company? You know, yeah. they could they could, they could give a care less about uh, you know how well I can shoot or I can I can hit something at eight hundred a thousand meters. Um, but there are aspects of that that do apply to the civilian market, and that's the uh, attention to detail, the uh, ability to focus and remain calm during a, a high stress situation, things like that that I can that I can pull from my experience as a sniper uh, in combat. It, there's things that I can draw from uh, and communicate to that uh, to that civilian sector, that civilian company. Uh, that's appealing to them. And you got to be able to do that in two ways. I mean, one, you get the opportunity to do that in a resume that a hiring manager yep. may look at 10 seconds of your resume. And then secondly, if you do get the opportunity to put your foot in the door, you might be able to articulate that. But I think it's the harder part that's is trying to convey that on a piece of paper, you know. Sure. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I got so, a neat story about that, too, that uh, that relates directly to that subject. Uh, I did a lot of training uh, in, in, in interoperability with the CIA. And uh, that's something I can talk about now since I'm I'm, I'm retired. And, I'll, I'll, of course, I won't bust any classification stuff. But uh, when I went to the farm, you know, I'm a farm-trained uh, soft guy. Uh, so I went to the farm to, to become a case officer through the through uh, SOCOM. And uh, while I was doing so, they, they wanted to put me through uh, some challenges. And, and, and one of the biggest challenges that I had was the fact that I, I don't have a, a collegiate background. I don't have... Uh, any college uh, history or or classes under my belt, and one of the one of the uh, tests or one of the challenges that I had to go through at the farm was uh, how do I interact successfully, and that, and that means to to obtain my my mission objectives with a, a a gentleman that's definitely older than myself, and he had three master's degrees. You know, uh, for someone like that. How do I how do I market myself to that person to in order to get him to do what we were wanting him to do for us? Um, and I had to build rapport. I had to to basically prove myself uh, to this guy. And again, I'm coming from a background with no college. He's a big uh, he's a he's a very uh, intellectual person and, and and focused on on you know one of the first questions out of his mouth was. So where did I go to school at? You know, and, and it's something that <laughs> yeah. it, it was, I found challenging. It was difficult, but being able to articulate what translates from my combat experience and military experience into the civilian sector, 
I, I think is, is important. And it's not that hard to do. Uh, somebody just has to take a little time and, and put some thought towards it. Yeah. So you, um, you know, you really embraced after your military uh, time and everything, the entrepreneurial spirit, you uh, created yeah. a company, everything. So tell us a little bit about the, uh, what you've been doing since active duty. So, so part of my, so part of my plan was, uh, basically a three, a three pronged approach. Um, and, it, and it's all directly related with the fishing industry. And again, my goal was, uh, my passion is, is, is fishing and, and really it's a uh, tournament, tournament fishing. And if you're successful at that, uh, you can make a, a damn good living at that uh, financially. But more importantly, it's something that I enjoy doing. And so my approach was a three-pronged approach. And that was uh, one, uh, while I was active duty, I started up a, a side business on my free time. And I was building custom fishing rods. Um, and I built some, some very good, very high-quality, high-end uh, fishing rods um, uh, in and, and, and uh, name of my company is Jack Ontario Custom Rods. Um, that was one prong of the of the three phased uh, plan. The second was uh, now that I have the time and I'm out uh, out of active duty, uh, I can really gear uh, hunker down and, and gear myself towards tournament fishing and, and hitting the tournament trails um, and trying my luck with that. That was the the second the second phase of that operation, and then third and and uh, and, and finally was the um, the uh, guide service that I'm kicking off uh, in, in spring of 2016. Um, it's something that I, I love helping people out. I, I love fishing, and especially if you can combine the two with a client who's not that experienced in fishing, and uh, and you can put them on some fish and, and, and see their faces light up, that makes me happy. Um, and uh, anybody that served our time frame uh, has experienced a lot of negative things through since 9/11, uh, especially if you've been to combat uh, or deployed in that capacity. But uh, you know, it's time. Uh, I'm trying to get away from all the, the dark side of, of my life and uh, trying to focus on putting smiles on on people's faces and being a little bit more helpful. So, how did you come up with the name Captain Jack Ontario? Yeah, that's funny. Uh, I did a lot of uh, I did a lot of singleton missions. Yeah. Um, when it, in my career and and sometimes we deploy in a pseudo name or or you know a cover name if you want to call it that right right but uh uh you know i had a name that, that was always jack something or other and uh uh i remember my wife and i uh, probably three years three four years ago uh she's from upstate new york and that's why i'm up here now but uh you know we hadn't been up here in a long very long time probably 20 years and uh, we took a trip up here to see her family. And, you know, while I was up here, I was on the lake on Eastern Basin of Lake Ontario. I'm like, well, what the hell? It's summertime. Uh, this is one of the best fisheries in the entire world. Uh, I'm going to hire a charter and, and, and go fishing. Yeah. So we did. During, you know, we were up here for like a week vacation or whatever. But during that, I, I, I took a day and took some of her family out. And uh, we hired a charter and, and went fishing. And, uh, and she actually came up with the name and, and, and jokingly, uh, she was teasing me a little bit, and she's like, "You know, you're not Jack Burns anymore. It's uh, you call you Jack Ontario." So, you know, I thought to myself, uh, and then especially when I knew that this was the area I was going to retire at, right? Uh, being on Lake Ontario and tying into the whole fishing in- industry and the uh, and the guide service and all that, you know, why not take the pseudo, you know, Jack Ontario, and that's what I decided to run with. I love it. So, um, all right. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Go for it. What is 
um, you've had a chance to fish a lot of different places, um, obviously yeah. over your time stuff. So where is your favorite fishing hole and why? Wow. Um, I've got a few of them actually. Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily have a favorite. I love, I love largemouth bass fishing. Um, but since I've been up North, I've noticed that the smallmouth uh, bass bite is, is just as awesome. So I would say up, up here in the Northeast, I'd have to say uh, Oneida Lake, uh, which is about uh, two hours south of me. Okay. Uh, that, that's an awesome fishery for, for both largemouth and smallmouth, uh, more importantly, smallmouth. But then you, I, can't, uh, I can't argue uh, back home growing up in Florida. You know, the largemouth bass fishing on Lake Okeechobee and down in the Everglades. And, oh, sure. Uh, and, and, to, and, and different lakes uh, throughout Florida is just amazing. Um, uh, I, would, I would have to say it's not a, necessarily a favorite honey hole, but it's, a, it's just a, a technique, you know. Um, I love, I love topwater uh, fishing for bass. Mm-hmm. Anywhere that I can get a good topwater bite, that's, that's where it's at. So what's the best lure in your box? Best lure in my box. I'd have to go with, uh, as far as uh, soft plastics, I'd have to go with uh, a Senko worm. Can't beat those. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of companies that uh, try to imitate them, but uh, that Gary Yamamoto uh, Senko it, it can't be beat. Uh, that's an awesome awesome soft plastic and hard hard baits. Uh, of course, I got to plug my sponsors. Uh, you know, skirmish baits. Uh, awesome. Another veteran owned company, by the way. Yep. Chris Turner, Chris Turner's the owner, uh, and he takes care of, of myself and uh, two of my buddies uh, with our fishing venues, uh, and he makes some awesome crankbaits. Um, uh, our jig guys, uh, buy you bug jigs, uh, when the jig bite's happening, uh, you can't beat a good jig, and, uh, and those are the guys to go to for that. Awesome. So Check them out. All around. Yeah, I'm all around. Uh, I'd say the best lure that I've got is... Uh, is uh, Probably that uh, the skirmish uh, square bill. That's probably the best one I've got in my box. So you uh, you have custom on your name. So tell us a little bit about yep. what that really means, because I mean, some people put custom on yeah. you know as their name, but I think you've taken it to another level. Um, sure, sure. Well, so I built custom fishing rods, and what that means in, in essence is anybody can go to Bass Pro Shops or Walmart or, or anywhere and buy a fishing rod. Well. Yep. You know, those, and they're good fishing rods. I don't want to take anybody anything away from uh, any other rod manufacturer. But the rods are mass-produced, and you lose a certain amount of quality. That's, that's unar- inarguable. Uh, you lose a certain amount of uh, quanti- quality control when they're mass-producing these fishing rods. You know, they produce thousands and thousands of these rods in a very short time frame. And they're all, you know, the same rods. You can get a certain uh, uh, series rod, uh and, and, and there's thousands of them that built exactly the same way. But the, with regards to the custom rod business, um, if you're looking for a fishing rod, and you're not, you don't have to be a pro angler, but you're looking for a fishing rod that that has your logo or your name or your favorite colors or or whatever uh, on that rod. Um, custom rods are the way to go, and I do that. I've built some some pretty unique themed rods. Um, as well as the quality of craftsmanship, you know, you take the, you're taking the time and you're, you're finding the backbone. Every rod blank has its own spine or its own backbone. And you, you take extra time and you align those guides or the eyes, uh, for that rod. You, you align them perfectly with that, with that backbone. 
um, and, it, and it ultimately it just makes the rod a uh, hundred times more sensitive and, and castable and, uh, and lighter. Um, plus they look good on top of it. So when it comes to custom, you know, you can modify pretty much anything you want to on a fishing rod, whether it's length, power, action, uh, what type of grips, the spacing of the grips, what size grips, um, the colors, the type of components, the guides, the real seat. There's just so much to customize about it. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, speaking, speaking to pros, uh, if someone that the tournament fishes regularly or, or they fish quite a bit, they know the difference between a good custom rod and a, and a store-bought rod. Sounds like um, you really get to know your customers then. I mean, you must spend oh, some time really, to. yeah. I try to, um, and again, I've built some, I've built some pretty unique rods. Um, you know, I do a military, uh, special where, uh, I take, uh, actual unit crests and I will shape them, uh, in a way, and these are the crests that you actually put on your, on your dress uniform. Oh yeah, sure. I'll take that, that the fully enameled, uh, piece, you know, no matter how, what size it is, and I'll shape it to where it, it fits, uh, and I'll actually embed it into a, to a grip. Oh, or, nice. or something like that. If, if somebody needs a, a military themed rod, I can put their name, rank, uh, unit logos on there, unit colors. Um, and I've done, I've done one series where, uh, we've actually taken combat and it's more nostalgic, but, uh, I've taken combat worn, um, uniforms and taken strips of that and added that into the de- decoration of the rod. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Along with, uh, you know, and, and on special circumstances, um, a buddy of mine was blown up, uh, him and his outfit were blown up by an IED uh, over in Afghanistan, and they were able to recover the initiation wire for that for that IED. And it's a very thin copper wire called angel pair wire, and he's got thousands of feet of this stuff. And uh, I've, I've got a giant spool of it. Uh, so in, in some of the rods and some of the charity rods that I've built for donation, you know, I'll put the, the multi-cam, combat-worn multi-cam into the, into the, into the handles, um, along with incorporating that, uh, a small piece of that, uh, IED initiation wire in a decorative way, you know, like, like yeah, I do with yeah. bread wraps. Um, and it, like I said, it's more nostalgic, but you take something that's, that's so negative, something like an IED that killed people, and you turn it into something that's, that's positive, you know, in, for a charity rod, you know, that, that fishing rod that I donated made $800 for that charity. Um, and it, it looks cool. So you take something that's so negative and turn it into, into a positive, beautiful thing. It's, that's a custom rod. Yeah. It's, that's a great way of honoring, um, the, the guys too. Um, yeah, exactly. So I know you like giving back, um, uh, to the community and that's something that I enjoyed, uh, doing as well. So tell us a little bit about how you guys, uh, really teamed together with, uh, a charity organization and, and how you support them. Yeah. So, uh, and as everybody knows, there's a, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of, uh, of charities out there that are geared towards veterans and active duty members, uh, of our military. And, and I'm not trying to take anything away from any other charity. They're all, you know, they all do fairly, fairly well in their own regard. But, but more specifically, what hits home with me is the special operations community. And it's not that there were any better or deserve any more than anybody else. Um, it's, it's a simple fact that we're, we're wired a little bit differently. Um, and, and what I mean, uh, specifically is, uh, special ops survivors, um, is the, is the foundation which, uh, you know, buddies support. And, uh, they're geared toward, uh, strictly special operations units uh, of all branches of the military, so Army, Navy, Marines, 
uh, Air Force uh, spec ops units. And, and they have, uh, they support the Gold Star family members, and that's the spouses, which uh, the majority are, are female, uh, and the children of fallen special operations soldiers. And they do that through financial aid, uh, work, uh, work programs, um, everything from uh, just being there and being a liaison to uh, a Gold Star spouse uh, who lost her husband uh, is huge. Um, yeah. And what's unique about special operations guys, again, not taking anything away from anyone else, but we don't usually ask for help. Right. You know, if something, something happens, we usually are, are pretty self-reliant and try to figure things out on our own, and, and we're less apt to, to reach out and ask for help. And the same thing goes with our families. You know, um, I've been married for, for 26 years now, and my wife is extremely independent. Uh, and I was fortunate enough that, that nothing too terrible happened to me uh, during my service. But, you know, God forbid, if, if something did, um, she's not the type that will go out and ask for assistance right. on anything. Yeah. She'll just figure it out for herself and, and make do with what she's got and, and, and work through it. And uh, most special operations families are like that. And, and it's a very tight-knit, uh, very, I don't want to say clicky, that's got a negative family uh, connotation to it, but... But yeah, you know, you've got to be in the in the circle to, yeah. to be able to relate to, to special operations family. And this foundation is made up of special operations uh, families, and and they've already they they can more easily tap that barrier or get through that barrier. Well, this uh, leads right into. I know you talked about the uh, the lure and everything, but uh, yeah. this also leads right into another uh, project that you're uh, working on, and that's the book. So, tell us a little bit yeah. about uh, what you're looking at for 2016 and how that might really kind of help support this organization as well. Sure, sure. So, another way, another way, uh, you know, me and my friends, uh, my friends and I support the the organization is not only through our tournaments and 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 bringing awareness to the to the foundation by speaking to different folks. But I wanted to I wanted to do something different again, and I wanted to tap into something that number one I was experienced with and could and could speak to effectively, um, and I wanted to, to give back and help out other people with the same interests, um, and I wanted to tie it into fishing somehow, uh, and more importantly, I wanted all the proceeds of the book to go back toward the foundation. So, uh, you know, typically. Guys in, in my line of work, they get out, they write a book, or they make a movie, or, or something like that. Um, and I, again, I want to do something different. Um, so I decided to fall back on, on my experience, something I was good at, which was stress mitigation. And how do I, how how could I tie that back into the fishing industry? And that well, that was through uh, tournament angling. And anyone that's fished a tournament uh, or, or fished competitively. Uh, they understand that uh, the stressors in that situation are, are can get pretty extreme, and they can impact your performance if not managed effectively. Right. Uh, so, uh, in a nutshell, I've, I've, I've designed a uh, or authored a uh, Reader's Digest style book. In that, we have a very eclectic group of authors and contributors. Uh, not only myself, but uh, I've got pro anglers like Gary Klein, Brent Erler, Mike, Mike Iaconelli, uh, Pete Gluzek, Dave Mansu, uh, some very well-known uh, pro anglers uh, contributing stories, um, as well as CIA operatives, uh, uh, police. I've got Boston SWAT uh, members uh, talking about the uh, Boston Marathon bombings and how stressful that was. 
Um, you know, we've got uh, other special operations guys contributing stories about, uh, you know, stressful situations they've had in combat. Um, but the, the point of the book was to keep the chapters short, uh, to, to, re- to be able to reach a very wide target audience, uh, and, and for it to be entertaining, and then ultimately tie it all back into term language. So each, each contributor, each author is writing a short chapter on something stressful that, that's happened in their life. Um, whether it's a cop taking a percentage shot or, uh, you know, bearded guy like myself, you know, fighting uh, terrorists uh, overseas somewhere, right. uh, CIA guy getting compromised. Um, they're all it's just a, a, a wide range of very uh, exciting and interesting stories. And at the end of each chapter, I'll compare and contrast uh, different techniques and things that, that, that may have worked or didn't work and, and tie it all back into to tournament fishing. Um, and I, th- I thought that would be pretty interesting and I've gotten a lot of good feedback from that so far. No, it sounds great. As a matter of fact, I, I can definitely see how this could reach a broader audience. I, I mean, yeah, you, know, yeah. you really cast your net, so to speak, uh, wide, then sure. I mean, you're able to like, um, you know, people who are facing all kinds of different, uh, stressful situations, like you said, it could be a small story of something they can relate yeah. to that ties back to something that's also entertaining. So, um, sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely a, a, a plus I could see. Yeah, and, and what I learned with the stress mitigation is, uh, you know, stress applies to everybody. Um, you, you could be a, a kid in school uh, bringing home a bad report card. That's pretty damn stressful for right. a, a young teenager, you know, um, or uh, a, a police officer. And you have, you're in a hostage situation. You've got to take a percentage shot on a very small target uh, under under uh, time time constraints. Um, very extremely stressful. Uh, bearded guy uh, overseas in, in, in the Badlands fighting, uh, fighting uh, an enemy that you're outnumbered by. Uh, very stressful situation. Um, tournament angler representing your, your sponsors, uh, missing a big fish during a tournament. Um, that's how you make a paycheck. That's how you make a living. Uh, a lot of different stress factors associated with that. Um, and there's there's some simple things that we can do and accomplish to help mitigate that because again this stress has the exact same uh physiological and psychological impacts on a human being that, that's the same for everybody right how we mitigate that stress that, that ultimately helps us be successful or not yeah that can that stress can cause some really bad stuff for sure yeah yeah exactly and, I, and i'm by no means a doctor or do i have a any type of professional schooling uh in the subject area, I, I just happen to be a regular dude uh, who did 25 and a half years special ops during 9-11, and uh, I was in a lot of extremely stressful situations, and I came out, uh, I'd like to think, fairly successful. So, you know, what can I? What did I do right, and what, and, and what did I do wrong, and, you know, I'm going to share that those experiences with people. So, on that note, what is it that you uh, would give advice to those... Uh... Those folks that are on active duty right now, looking at transitioning, um, you know, what, what what would be some of the advice that you would give them if they're considering those options? Well, I'd say I'd say the most important, and we touched on this earlier. Uh, I'd say the most important thing is is preparing yourself mentally, um, and you can do that in a number of ways. One is uh, first, the first thing, more importantly, is is do you want to get out? You know, is right. that something you really want to do? Because once you pull that trigger, uh, that's a permanent, uh, that's a permanent impact on your life. So it's a, it's a, it's a fairly large decision. Um, 
but an easy one to come to, you know. Anyone that's that's served any amount of time in the military, um, and if you haven't experienced it yet, you will. You'll know when it, when the time is right and, and when you're ready to get out and transition. It'll just be like a light bulb coming on your head, um, and you can't stop thinking about it. You know it's time. Um, but having a good plan, having a solid plan early on before you get out, I think is critical. Um, and you want to you want to focus. Uh, similar to how how you did mission planning for anything. And I don't care if you're a, a young private. Uh, I don't care if you're a general. The, the process is the same. Uh, the application of the, the uh, mission planning and the leadership and, and all the attributes and, and skills you learn in the military can be directly applied to helping create that plan. Um, and, and I think that helps reduce the uh, uncertainties it helps increase your chances of success, um, and so on and so on. So I would say the two most important aspects are, number one, preparing yourself mentally. Yes, that's what I want to do. And then two, having, a, having an effective and a solid plan. You can do anything you want. That's, a, that's another thing a lot of people don't realize. Um, you're starting with a, with a blank slate. And, and if you can capitalize on your military experiences, no matter how few or how in depth they go, uh, you'll be successful. Yeah. True words. I mean, I, I think uh, a lot of folks actually start thinking about transition when they start going to ACAP or when they start thinking yeah. about, they're not going to reenlist. And truly it's about, you know, maybe even before you even reenlist, um, you know, at that point, am I going to stay? Am I going to go? And then having that plan and stuff set forward. Sure. Sure. Well, Rudy, thank you so much for joining uh, this podcast and uh, look forward to working with you more in the future. Um, wish you nothing but the best with your custom rod company and with all the uh, the stuff that you got moving forward there as well. Absolutely. Uh, Robert, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, and Like I said, uh, if you're in that position um, and you're thinking about uh, you're questioning reenlisting or or you're, you're, you're thinking about uh, transitioning and retiring and getting out after a, a full career, Take the time. There's a lot of different folks out here, folks such as yourself, myself, for instance, um, the existing active duty chain of command. There's a lot of people that you can reach out and talk to um, to help you come up with a, a, a solid transition plan because that's something you don't want to you don't want to skimp on and you don't want to take shortcuts. Um, you, you, I don't think you can over prepare for that. Uh, uh, the more options you have. Uh, the smoother it'll go for yourself and the less stressful it'll be. Um, but yeah, reach out, man. Uh, you know, reach out and, and ask questions, ask for help and, uh, and then you'll have a successful transition. Yep. Totally. Appreciate it again, uh, Rudy. And uh, we'll be talking soon. You got it, Robert. Appreciate the time, buddy. You bet. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Really like to once again, thank uh, Rudy for being on the podcast today. Uh, good news is that's not the last that you're going to hear from Rudy. Uh, Rudy will be joining me in the future podcast uh, where we'll be talking at the first of the year uh, with uh, other entrepreneurs, uh, former military service members, uh, their spouses, uh, those types of things. So uh, excited about the future. Um, also looking at uh, possibly doing some uh, live shows. Um, so we'd like to get your feedback, your comments and suggestions. You can reach me at robert.gowin, G-O-W-I-N, at mentorsformilitary.com or reach out to Rudy at rudy uh, at mentorsformilitary.com as well. 
you can also follow us on Twitter uh, at rwgowin, G-O-W-I-N, or for Rudy, it's at Captain Jack Ontario. And uh, we, we look forward to uh, having you guys uh, provide us some input on the show and what we might be able to do in the future. Uh, with that, uh, again, uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, we hope you got something out of it, and uh, we hope each of you have a wonderful holiday.